I want to encourage you tonight to not be intimidated by the book of Revelation. And so if you have your Bible, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Well, look at the book of Revelation. I think of keys, things that help us to understand the book. And chapter 1 gives a fundamental basis for understanding the book of Revelation. I may point out some other chapters. I really think once you understand Revelation 17, specifically verses 9 through 11, then you can understand Revelation 12 through uh, 22, and that you can you can get a, a good perception and understanding of the end in the second half of Revelation. Uh, I think if you understand Revelation chapter 11, then you can understand chapter 6 through 11. And I think you'll find chapters 1 through 5 not too difficult at all. But we want to look at the book of Revelation and look at some keys here and things that are here for our encouragement. This book... It's a book for courageous believers. So in Revelation 21 and verse 8, John reveals there, and he has a list of those who will be cast into the lake of fire. And the first thing he mentions are the cowards. He says cowards will be cast there. And the book of Revelation is written and is, is repeated like in chapter, Revelation chapter 14. We have a passage there also in Revelation chapter 13, Revelation 13 verse 10, Revelation 14 verse 12, that tells us that the book is meant to give us encouragement and endurance. So when I read this book, that's what I should be gaining from it. I think some people look at the figures and the descriptions here of the dragons and beasts and so forth, and they think, I I don't know if I can ever truly understand this. I want you to be a, a little cautious with that statement. I think you might be trying to understand too much, but there is much for us that we can draw out and uh, much of it that can give us great understanding and perspective about life and how we live every day. I also think, and I asked myself this question when I was going to study, and I, I can't think of a better way of concluding the Bible than the book of Revelation. It's perfect, perfect conclusion. When you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you've got Adam and Eve and the garden of God's creation. When you go to Revelation, the last two chapters, so we start with the first two chapters of the Bible, go to the last two chapters, there you have God's redeemed in the paradise garden, uh, depicted there of the new heavens and the new earth, and God's blessings there. And we go from paradise to paradise in the Bible. So I take that as no mere coincidence that this is the design of God's book that He has given to us and as inspired. And, and I think it's wonderful, the structure of the book of Revelation. So we want to understand Revelation. Let's start from the very beginning. Let's go to Revelation 1. And my brief little exposition, and I'll build on it, of course. Let's just start with the first three verses. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let me draw out some things here. All right, so verse 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, and to know what revelation is, again, is simply the same in Greek as it is in English. The meaning of it is that which is being revealed to us and given to us. And this is something that, that God is revealing these mysteries to us. It says, which God gave him to show to his servants. So God gave this specifically to an individual we're going to see in a moment, to show God's servants the things that must soon take place. 
Um, and, I, and I think that's a good translation. Soon take place could be translated in a different way, but in the context of what he says, he says the time is near. So soon take place is a, way, a good way to, to say it. It says he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. And this is the Apostle John. This is the John that we just read through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Writes in the same way as the Gospel of John. Speaks in the same way and speaks of Christ in the same way. Very clearly in the same John. Verse 2 says, Who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that He saw. And so, that sounds familiar. As we looked at 1 John last Wednesday night, that's what John said at the beginning of 1 John, that we are witnesses and that he is bearing witness and giving a testimony of the Word of God, of whom he heard and he saw and whom he touched. So, very clear that that is the John of whom has received this revelation. It says, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw... In verse 3, blessed, I love this, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's, an, I think, a significant point right there to build upon. First of all, you've got a blessing right there. You read it, you're blessed. You hear it, you're blessed. This is not a book of curses and and it's not a book of plagues upon us. But a lot of people read it that way as a sense of dread. This is what's coming on us. No, it's God's judgment a lot of times. We do read of plagues and His judgment against wickedness in the world. And, but that's not upon us. Those of us who take courage and we are encouraged by this book, we have bravery by it. We're not cowards. We're blessed by it. And then he says, not only are we those who read it and hear it, but of course those who keep these words. Now the book of Revelation, when you get down to the end of the last chapter and the very few last verses there, you also again have the blessing. Blessed are those who hear these words, who read them, who keep them. And so you get those great bookends to, to Revelation. All right, again, just to make sure I didn't miss anything in observations here. We have God's revealed truth about Jesus Christ. It says of Jesus Christ to John for God's servants. Well, that's me. I'm a Christian. This book's for me. Now, John is writing in his time. And he's, we're talking about 20 centuries ago in the first century. And he says of things that will soon take place. But we, we notice this. The judgment days in Revelation 20, that the new heaven and new earth and the blessings of paradise are there in chapters 21 and 22. All because he says these are things soon to take place doesn't mean all of it has already taken place. All right, but we get to see and read through it and study it to see what God has accomplished, to stand in awe of who he is and how his word has been fulfilled here in the book of Revelation. All right, we also have the statement here that the revelation comes by an angel. As it was stated about the law of Moses from the beginning again to the end, that angels were there in delivering these revelations. I think the angel is specifically mentioned here because John has a vision. He's seeing these things. And when I think about this as, as, as a dream, I can see John's reactions to it, to be terrified in one moment and in awe of God in the next 
I would too if this was a vision that I had. If this was the if God were to give any of us individually this perspective of the book of Revelation, to see it would be an amazing thing. Um, and that might be something to think about, to contemplate, to try to imagine what John is seeing here. So John is a witness again to the word and testified of Jesus Christ. Again, I referred to 1 John, very similar. He says, blessed again are those who hear, and notice this, the words of prophecy. Prophecy. Well, is John preaching this? I imagine he would preach it, but he's writing it down. In fact, he's instructed by Christ in the text, the things that you see and hear, write them down. This was intended to be a book. Put them in a book. Why? Because the time is near. So when I look at the book of Revelation, I'm thinking of this. The Revelation is a book, a source of blessings for readers. And it's good for us to hear these things. And I think it's also good for us to take it from the perspective of what God, of what God was revealing to His servants that would happen soon. So you've got to start with a historical perspective of the first century until now. And how things have unfolded. And there's some great keys and clues throughout the, as we continue to study Revelation throughout this next month that make it very clear to us. I think about, and, and I'm going to apply this to the book of Revelation, but this applies to the whole Bible. How many of you would like reading recipes of food that you want to eat? Well, wait a minute. Listen, what about recipes of food? Because I watch this on YouTube all the time. I always watch people making stuff. So I can make new stuff, especially when it comes to meat. I want good meat. I want my steaks to taste great. All right. But I'm not going to watch a video on how to cook broccoli because I hate broccoli and I hate Brussels sprouts and I'm not going to eat it. Okay, you can keep that. Um, But I'm not going to read a recipe or watch something that I'm not likely going to eat. I'm not interested in it. All right. Right now, I don't eat a lot of cakes. Not interested in baking a cake. All right. Um, that's not where my perspective is. So I'm not, if I come to the book of Revelation and say, this isn't any use to me, I can't understand it. It has no application to me. That sounds, I don't know what you do with Revelation then. Can't say Revelation's boring. It's not boring. But you're going to be lacking for application there. And the same thing goes for a number of things. Uh, I got to put a new microwave in my house recently. And I got the microwave out and looked at it and I looked at the wall and I took the old one out and I looked at this one and I said, okay, I need the new mounting bracket up there. I didn't want to look at the instructions. Instructions are boring. And Rachel walks over there and grabs the instructions. And she starts reading the instructions and that ruined it everything. It just, now I'm confused. Like, give me the instructions. I guess I'll do this the right way. So, Anyways, I'm not going to read the instructions to um, a new oven because right now I don't need a new oven. That's just ridiculous. So I can't come to the Bible or any book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, and, and treat it like some kind of instruction manual that has no application to me. All right? And the same thing goes if um, I'm not going to listen to a dietitian or a physician about a, a diet that I distrust. All right? If my doctor puts me on a diet of broccoli and Brussels sprouts, he's wrong. I'm not going to listen to that. All right? Um, I'm not going to go to a physical trainer whose, whose advice I'm not going to take. So, again, you've got to come to the Bible with your eyes open that the Revelation is a text I can use. The whole Bible is. 
And if I'm not understanding that, it's not the Bible's fault. It's not God's fault. It might be a little bit the preacher's fault, but it's going to come on you. Do you understand the text? I remember a few years ago, you know, I'd, I'd often hear people say, I just don't read the Bible. I, I kind of find it boring. I mean, I hear teenagers say that when I was a youth minister. And so I want a little bit more accuracy here on the word boring because I, I talked about things being boring myself. But boring means simply this. You don't take interest in it. You don't take any interest in it. You know? If you find someone in your family boring, what you're saying is, I'm just not interested in them. Who's got the problem there? Well, I do. If I find the Bible boring, it's a reflection on myself. I need to reevaluate myself. I want you to look at another thing here in the book of Revelation, back to this in chapter 1. In those first few verses we read, we read here descriptions. We read descriptions of God, revelation, that it's about Jesus Christ is sent by an angel. It's a prophecy from John, and that John here is a witness and a servant of God. Wow, that's, a he- that's heavy. That's the authority of God right there. That's about every description I can imagine to come up with to describe the weight and the authority of every book of the Bible. And here, Revelation gives you a good summary of its authority and inspiration. And that's amazing to think about. Revelation chapter 1, as I propose to you tonight, is the first key for you understanding this book. I want you to notice this. All right? Now, I'm going to give a summary of the next few verses, but I encourage you to read them, which you will if you're coming back on Wednesday night to discuss this. But Revelation 1, verses 4 through 8, I'm just going to tell you some things I see here. And then I want to get down to another section here that gives you a picture of almost the rest, the way the rest of the book of Revelation is formed. And you're going to come to parts of the book of Revelation where you think this is a little bit hard to understand. But you're going to understand this. You're going to understand it very clearly. And you're not going to be able to use that simple excuse, well, it's symbols and God knows what it means. We'll get more out of it than that. All right. So Revelation... 1 verses 4 through 8, it frames the whole rest of the book. And I give you some descriptions in this. It frames the purpose and the, uh, and what we've already seen, the authority of this book. It frames it in this John is writing to the seven churches of Asia. Okay, this is Asia Minor. These are a set of churches on a trade route on the western part of where Turkey is today or the Anatola. If you know where that is on the map, I, I like that map in my head to think about that. You can turn to the back of your Bible if you want to look at it. You probably have a map in the back of your Bible that shows you the churches of Asia back there. You can take a look at them and where they are. And then what we're going to see here is that John's going to address these seven churches of Asia. And this is what I see about those seven churches. I see three things that are described here about them. And I also see three things that are described here about Jesus And I see three things that are described here from these verses about what Christ has done. So to move on, we know John is writing to the seven churches, but listen to the identity of Jesus and how he's glorified. I'm going to move on to this. So number one, he's described as the faithful witness in these verses. He's faithful. You can trust him. What he says is true. Uh, Most of us, when we come to faith in Christ, it's because we read the words of Jesus, we heard his teaching, and we've been taught it, and we read the Gospels, and we say, I can't trust anybody else more than him. 
If anybody knows anything about reality and about God and where the universe came from and what the purpose and meaning of life is, it's Jesus Christ. So He is the faithful witness. And we believe. That's fundamental to everything that I believe. When I believe the Bible, I believe because Jesus believed the Bible. And I believe everything I believe about God is because Jesus has revealed it. It all comes back to Him. You know, you might have a different route in which you believe, but fundamentally, when I boil it down, it comes back to Christ. The right, second thing I see here is it says that Jesus is, it says the firstborn from the dead. The Greek literally says prototokos. Um, and remember that for the test. But his prototype is what he is. He, in other words, he's the first one of his nature to rise from the dead. So what's John saying here? First of all, He's the faithful one that you trust in. He's the one that tells you the truth. He's the one that you rely upon, your faith rests upon. He's the one of which you hope for eternal life and the resurrection from the dead. Why? Because He was the first one to do that, to rise to eternal life from the dead. Others have risen from the dead, but they died again. He rose eternally. A third thing I see here, and listen to this, and I'm going to emphasize this again. And this is throughout the book of Revelation. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Alright? Now if you watch Fox News and listen to Tucker Carlson, you may not know that. Now I think Tucker Carlson says he believes in Jesus. But when it comes to his reporting, he acts like the world is always coming to the end. And Glenn Beck, and whoever else I turn on, or I might hear. And you've got to keep this in perspective. Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And you might listen to those guys and think that there's another famine coming. The Great Depression is coming. After that's coming World War III. Everything is doomed. We're going to concentration camps soon. Well, some of those things may be true. But that doesn't change that Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That He is in control. That we will endure. That we as Christians will continue on. And that there might be nothing you can do to stop any of that. But Christ is still a ruler and will endure and will make it. God will bless us. So I see those three things pointed out about Christ and they carry on throughout the whole book. I see this as well. Here's three things that are emphasized that Jesus accomplished. Revelation 1, 4 through 8. He accomplished three things. First it says He he released or gave freedom for believers from sin. And usually that's fundamental to our faith. I've got sin. I need freedom. Christ offers that redemption. He died for me. I want it. The other thing we see here is it says here in Revelation, look at there, Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, He's done something. He's made us as believers into what? Into a kingdom. We're already in the kingdom. He's formed the kingdom. There's power and strength in Christians as the kingdom. The greatest nation on earth is the church. We as the people. We have the power of God with us. Christ is with us. It also says this. It says that He makes them in His kingdom, these believers and followers, Christians, us. He makes us into priests of God. The word priest implies those who work and worship in the temple. It's a word that's connected to the temple. Wait a minute, what temple do we have today? Well, it's implicit that we as the temple of God, the place of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, the church, and individually our bodies, that we are priests of God. And what for what purpose? To bring glory to God. Our purpose is set here. Our redemption is set here. Our mission is set. That Christ is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He has made us a kingdom. 
Let's go on a little bit further here in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. John says this. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. Notice this. The tribulation's already going on. You know, some people are saying, oh, there's a tribulation coming in the begin- later that's mentioned in the book of Revelation that John's referring to. John says right here, I'm already a partner in this tribulation. He's being persecuted. How so, he tells us. And he says in the kingdom, he's a partner in the kingdom. He's a part of it as well. And he's a part of the patient endurance. You know, I, you know some people would describe themselves if they're, if they're a rebel to say, I'm a part of the resistance. Was Christians or a part of the endurance. There's suffering and hardships in this life and in this world. But we endure. God helps us to. And all that is in Christ. And so, John says the patient endurance that are in Jesus. And then he says, what is he going through here as a part of the kingdom and patient endurance and a part of this tribulation? He says he was on the island of Patmo or Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He knew what it was like. He endured. If anybody's in a place to encourage, it's him. He's been exiled. And yet he's writing the churches, representing all Christians to endure, to be brave and not be cowards. And I think a lot of people respond to the news in a cowardly way rather than in a faithful way. I want to respond that Christ is in control, that I trust in God. If I can do something, then I'll do it. If I can't, I'll rely upon Jesus Christ. Revelation 1 and verse 10, John tells us more. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What's the Lord's day? It's the only reference in the New Testament to the Lord's day. And then we get little clues in here and inferences that this Lord's day is when the church has come together on this day. And so I think it's rightly inferred and what we know from early, um, the early Christians and in their early Christian writings that this is referring to the first day of the week, to the Lord's Day. I would also add to this that this description to the Lord's Day is the only time that this adjective for the Lord is only used in one other place and that's in reference to the Lord's Supper. So John is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and he receives this revelation, this vision of Christ. And that's the... I guess the third thing I want to leave you with tonight. Here's the key. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, I want to read it to you. And you can tell me what parts of it you don't understand. This gives you a description of what the book of Revelation is as far as symbolism. Okay? And it's not hard to understand. All right? And especially if you know who Jesus is, you know the Gospels, and you know what the the, the teachings about Him are. These are not hard symbols for us to understand. All right, verse 12. John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. So a voice had been speaking to him. And that voice, just the verse before in verse 11, said, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches of Asia. So he wants to see the voice. He wants to turn and see who it is. What will he see? He says, that I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. All right, that might be the hardest part, but it's going to tell you later on in the text what that means. Why, what are seven golden lampstands? Why do I need to know that? Is that significant? You'll find out. All right, look at verse 13. And in the midst of the lampstands, notice that in the midst is a description. 
That Jesus is in the midst. This is a description often connected with the assembly on the Lord's Day. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So we have this picture that sounds like the messianic figure who approached the Ancient of Days in the book of Daniel chapter 7. But you can see that this man is holy, that this is, well, the Son of Man is a description of Christ. That's the one in Daniel chapter chapter 7. What else do we see here? He's clothed with a long robe. First thing that comes to my mind is Garland's sermon last week when he talked about Isaiah chapter 6 and the presence of God and Isaiah being in the throne room and seeing the robe of God filling up that throne room. All right? And in the midst, again, the Son of Man. He has a golden sash. He is royal and great. Look at verse 14. The hairs of his head were white. Someone might be saying, well, why are they white? And you may not know that if the text doesn't tell you, but it's giving you a picture that this Son of Man is in the presence of God and that He is divine. The hairs of His head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and His voice was like the roar of many waters. And in His right hand He has held seven stars, and from His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Alright, this is a vision. The Son of Man. Are we supposed to take it that this is exactly what Jesus looks like? Now we know Jesus rose from the dead. That he ascended to the right hand of God. And there in Acts chapter 1, the angels tell the disciples that he's going to come the same as what he went. We also know in Colossians 2 and verse 9 that Jesus is the fullness of deity bodily. In other words, he's bod- he still has his body now. He resurrected from the dead. He possesses it eternally. He's put on the imperishable nature and that he's coming likewise. What I see here is that we have Christ in the presence of God and we're getting a glorious depiction, a vision of him. And does he literally have a sword coming from his mouth? Well, that's a figurative description because what Jesus speaks, His words, is the sword of God, the sword of the Spirit. We read about in Ephesians chapter 6. So this is a vision to understand. I give you a picture. The one who is speaking to John. All right? And the way that we understand this, we recognize this is Christ. This is a glorious depiction of Him. He has the power and the authority. He has the right to command. And when we understand this, then... We won't get so much sidetracked on some certain things in the book of Revelation. Because the walls of uh, the New Jerusalem are jasper, what does that mean? Well, you may not know what it means. The depiction of it is to show the glory of God and the beauty and the things that He promises to us. Okay, that's the point of it. And that's what we're seeing here in Jesus Christ. As far as the lampstands, look down at verse 20. It says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, this is Christ speaking, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here you have the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, in the midst of the lampstands, the churches, on the Lord's Day. And that's why it's concluded that this is a reference to the first day of the week that John received this revelation to send it to the churches, and that we are to draw from it and take from it. I think a good conclusion for tonight is going to come from Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18.
to again get down to the theme and the meaning and the purpose of the whole book of Revelation. But before we read that and a comment on it, I want to encourage you again, you can understand Revelation. No, you will not be able to infer every historical reference in the past and know and predict every future event because of the book of Revelation or understand every reference to a number or a color in the book. But when we get through studying it, you're going to see the theme there. Christ is work. He's the ruler of the kings of the world. He is in charge. The great message of Revelation is to encourage and give, again, us endurance. Revelation 14 and verse 12. And I think fitting to go along with that, we recognize that Christ is King of kings, the Lord of lords, and ruler of rulers. Revelation 1, 17 through 18. Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now think about that for a moment. Later on, John's going to fall at the feet of an angel, and the angel's going to say, Don't bow at my feet, I'm just a servant. That's not the response from the Son of Man. He is God. And it says here, But he laid his right hand on me. That'd be very comforting. To see this vision of Christ, it would humble you. To fall down before him is evidently an act of fear and an act of worship. And Jesus comforts him by putting his right hand on him, and he says this, Fear not. That's the theme of Revelation. Fear not. And Jesus says, I am the first and the last. That's a depiction of God from the book of Isaiah. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's what God actually said earlier in the chapter. That is who He is. And Christ says, I am the same. Fear not. I am the first and the last. Trust me. Look at verse 18. He says, I'm the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. So, we have Jesus telling us there and instructing and John and these things that are being taken and given to the churches. This is the truth. Fear not. Recognize who Jesus is. He's alive. He's eternal. He had died. He conquered death. He's alive forevermore. And if you want eternal life, it's only in Him. He has the keys to death and to Hades, the realm of the dead. Trust in Him. Revelation is a beautiful book, an amazing text. And I think it's written the way that it is, is that for those who are immature, unbelieving, and skeptical, for those who are looking to go off in another direction away from Jesus Christ, you're not going to see the truth in this. You might be thinking, well, why would, why would a book like that be in the Bible? I would remind you of what Jesus said about why he told parables. And in uh, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus in Matthew 13, he says, I tell parables. Why? So that those who are listening to him who want to know and want to hear him, who want to know the truth can know it. But those who don't accept him, don't want to think deeply about his words, will not know it. That's very much what we got here in the book of Revelation. So let's fear not. Let's not be cowards. Let's learn from the book of Revelation that we need to be able to endure whatever is in front of us, and to trust that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and ruler of rulers. That's what we get from this text. 
Tonight, if you need to obey the gospel of Christ, come to Jesus and do that. Confess faith in Him. Repent of your sins. Be baptized and rise in the newness of life. You need prayers and encouragement. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. Let's stand and sing together.